Uh, let me kind of little. Got it. <laughs> um, I know most of you guys are aware today is 9-11, 15 years later. And it's just kind of uh, amazing because most of us kind of remember uh, exactly where we were at when our country was attacked the way it was. And uh, I just want to pray right now for us and for our country, and then we'll get into the Word. Lord, <clears throat> thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Lord, you've allowed us, Lord God, to live <clears throat> in this country, Lord God. And we just want to thank you, Lord. And I know that many, even today throughout our country, Lord God, are continuing to mourn <clears throat> the loss of their loved ones, Lord. And Lord, <clears throat> the pain just doesn't go away. And so, Lord, we just want to pray for all those, Lord God, that are uh, once again being reminded of what happened that day so long ago, it seems like now. But yet, Lord, it just seems like yesterday. <clears throat> and so, Lord, we pray that you would just be with uh, those family, relatives, <coughs> friends, all those people, Lord. But for us, Lord, as a nation, all of us were affected one way or another, Lord. <clears throat> and Lord, we know that uh, we can't put our, our trust in man by any means or in governments. But we put our trust in you, Lord. That God, you would continue to use us to be an example and a light to this country, however we might be able to, Lord, even if it's just in this community. But Lord, please, Lord, use us as your people, to continue to minister. We just thank you, Lord, for this country. We continue to pray, God, that you would lead and guide somehow. That as a country, we would repent and turn back to you. That our eyes, Lord God, might be focused on you. We bless you, Lord. God, please, right now, Lord, as we open up your word, God, um, just help me put everything away right now to be able to be into your word and be able to share this message with my brothers and sisters and that God you would help me Lord uh, just to convey this message Lord Lord just uh, prepare our hearts in Jesus name Amen, Amen. <clears throat> we are in Revelation chapter 21 is where we find ourselves this morning and as we continue in, uh, in our series of Christ Revealed. And what a revelation of Jesus Christ it has been. Um, as we get into the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, we have seen that this world, as we know it, is done finished, kaput, over, ended, no mas. I have said it before and I will say it again and I will continue to say it. <laughs> when it comes to destroying this earth, this planet, this world, man is not capable of destroying it. We can't. We're not that we're not that big. We think too highly of ourselves if we think that we could totally destroy this planet. I don't care what they say. With all that we possess as a people, nations, with all that we have, we can destroy one another and even parts of this world. But the world will still turn. I don't care what people say about this whole thing. People will continue to live in other parts of the world. If one section is damaged or hurt or whatever it may be, you could, you could throw all the nuclear weapons at, at, at wherever, this world will still turn and people will continue to live. The reason I know that is because what we have been covering through the Word of God in the book of Revelation, nothing, nobody, 
can destroy this world. That is God's department. (laughs) He is the creator of this world. And he is the one that has his hand on it. And nobody can destroy it. So, the good thing about God is that he gave us his word. So that we can understand that. Because he is in total control. Total control of everything. And I am so glad that I am on his side. I really am. So as he has wrapped everything up, as he showed us in chapter 20, he wrapped it all up. And it's interesting because this book of Revelation could have just finished there, right? As we finished last week, as we finished chapter 28, or or 28, 20, and it talked about this white throne judgment and how, uh, how the sea gave up the dead, Hades and death gave up the dead, and they were all thrown into the book of fire or the lake of fire, the end. Could have just finished like that. And, 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 and we would have been okay with an ending like that because it is done, kaput, <laughs> no mas, right? But he goes further. He gives us two more chapters. It is amazing that he gives us two more chapters and he reveals to us what is beyond when he wraps everything up. I just think that's phenomenal. He, he, he lets us know what the believer has to look forward to when it's all said and done. Whenever, whenever the end is, whenever that white throne judgment, whenever that last day happens, then it starts. <laughs> then it starts. Basically, that's when it all starts. And I'm going, what? How is that even possible? but it does. And so chapter 21, we're only going to cover the first eight verses this morning. But these next two chapters, when you have time, read them. Just read them and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the revelation of who you are and what you have in store for us. It says in verse 1 of chapter 21, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Whoa. Some powerful verses, man. If you remember, it's been quite a while, if you remember back in the beginning 
of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter nine or chapter one, verse nineteen. The apostle John gave us the outline for this book. And 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 he said in verse nineteen of, of chapter one, he says, Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. You see, chapter 1 of, that, of this book, of this revelation of Jesus Christ, was the things which he had seen. He had seen this vision already that, that, that was now, would now be in the past in that sense, or the things that he had seen before, but he, God reveals himself to him on this island of Patmos that he was exiled on. And he shows him chapter 1. He shows him himself. He says, write the things which you have seen. And so when you see chapter 1, it, it's already, he's already seen Jesus in glory, everything. And then he says, write the things which are. And chapters 2 and 3 were the things that were at the time. He was writing to seven churches, if you remember. And telling them how everything was laid out and how things would come about for the church age. And we are still in that church age today. And then he said, and the things which take place after this. And from chapter 4 to the end of the book would be those things that would take place after this. Because all of a sudden in chapter 4, and we're going to read it in a little bit. We, we, we see John in a different dimension, in a different place. And this is where we've, we have found ourselves for the last year or so, studying the book of Revelation. We have been in that place that's ahead. What's, what's in the future, from chapter 4 all the way on. Now, I, I, I am going to give you a lot of scriptures today, so you might have your pen ready to write things down. But the Apostle John has been tripping out in such a way in what he has gotten to see as he saw the things that would be ahead in chapter 4 and on. Not just the destruction, because oftentimes we look at the, the book of Revelation and all the destruction that will take place. And he got to see all that, don't get me wrong, but he got to see this beauty that was far beyond his imagination. What he got to experience, what he got to see, the colors, the things, the, the angels, the throne of God. Man, oh man. To try and take all of that in, I'm sure, trying to comprehend it was a bit overwhelming for him. But he was trying to take it all in. And so I do want to go back to, to John or, or the, uh, to Revelation chapter 4, just to, just to kind of give you a glimpse of what happened uh, when, when, when he gets to the place of writing the things that, that, that were and the things that are and the things that would come. And, and so just, just go back to chapter 4 for a moment. And I want to read the first six verses. It says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like, was like a jasper and a sapphire um, stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow round around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their head and from the throne proceeded lightnings thunderings and voices seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God before the throne 
there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and and, the back. And I want to just stop there, but just to kind of give you the rest of it, they're just worshiping before the throne. Worshiping day and night before the throne. Saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so you, 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 you get this sense that, that when John is first caught up into heaven and he sees this view of heaven and the throne and he who sits on it and these amazing colors and you're just going, whoa. You can imagine he's going, is this heaven? It's like, yes, it is. It's truly heaven. He was right there in the midst. And I'm thinking, he's probably going, this is more than I can handle. This is more than enough. Man, oh man. Trying to take all of that in. Again, trying to comprehend it all. And and, and again, remembering as he's seeing this and experiencing this, he has the job of writing it all down for us. Is that remarkable? He's writing it down. And understand, he could only explain it to us in how he, he, he understands it himself. I mean, he is, he is in this place that is, that is just, you, you can't explain it. And yet he's trying to explain it. And so we, he, he writes things down of the things that he knows. So when I read this and I think he was just a a man in human flesh who had been caught up and and this vision was before him and he's writing this down and he's going, well, it looks like a rainbow. It looks like an emerald. It looks like this. It looks like that. But I I totally believe that it is such a different dimension that we're even, we, we can't even fathom it. You know, when we sing that song, I could only imagine, it's like it is a true statement. We could only imagine with what we know I truly believe it is far beyond what we can even imagine. So as we get to the end of the book, the last book of the Word of God, we almost have to go back to the first book of the Word of God, the very first, the very first verse where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And this earth and these heavens that now exist that we understand basically (laughs) what we do understand about this heaven or or about this earth and this heaven around us that we can see it's almost like we can't capture this whole new heaven new earth thing what do you mean you know, I, to me, I, when I start thinking about that, I, I, I envision kind of the same thing, but better. But it's like, no, it's probably not even what I imagine it to be. When he says, no, I create a new heaven and a new earth. Again, we, we are so finite in, 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 in whatever we do that, that we can't truly comprehend it all. The only thing we have is, is His Word. And again, it's mind-blowing. This earth and this heaven that now exists will have an end. It will. And I know that because the Word of God tells me that. Because it has to make room for the new heaven and the new earth. Now, this is not something new when we talk about a new heaven or a new earth that's mentioned here in the book of Revelation because it talks about it in other places, Old Testament and New Testament. And so I'm going to give you some scriptures that I have written down already here. This is from Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 19. 65, 17 to 19. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall be remembered or come to mind, shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem. 
and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. The Apostle Peter writes, but, as, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will, will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And the last verse that I want to give you right now is in, in Matthew twenty four thirty five, where it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Again, as we, we start looking at this, new, this concept <clears throat> that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, we understand that one day all of this will be done. Just like Peter kind of describes it, it's all going to burn. <laughs> all of it. Every aspect of this whole earth, whatever it looks like, and the heavens will burn. There was a saying back in the day that we used to hear a lot. It's all going to burn anyways. It's all going to burn. Kind of got away from that when we started getting more and more materialistic. It's like, oh, geez, is that going to burn too? It's like, no, it all, it's all going to burn. Eventually, after the millennial time, when he wraps everything up, it's all going to be done, done away with, as Peter describes it. So that the new heaven and the new earth are, are, um, are made. And so why the new heaven and the new earth? Why will they pass away? Because they have been defiled. They have been made unclean. I don't know if you know that or not. But we live in a fallen world that's perverted, that's sick. With the fall of man and sin entering into it, it didn't just affect man, it affected the earth as well. It changed from what God had intended it to be. It changed. Am I going in and out in the thing? Is that, is that me? Here. I... Okay, that was probably the longest it's taken me to change those things. Anyways, when sin entered in, it just didn't affect man. and It affected everything, the whole earth. God had intended this place to be paradise, basically. And when sin entered in, it corrupted the earth and it corrupted everything about it. There was no more harmony the way God wanted it to be. Now, before that, the heavens, not speaking about where God dwells, in, in, as we just read in, in Revelation chapter 4, Lucifer, who became Satan and the devil, wanted to be like God, and he puffed himself up and was thrown out of heaven where God dwells. And because of that, he became the prince of the power of the air, and so he has destroyed the heavens that we see. Now, if, 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 you, if you, you understand that, that there, the Bible talks about three heavens. 
the heavens that we see, what we visibly see, the sky right here, and then the, the heavens outside in the atmosphere, that the, uh, the second heaven and the third heaven is where God dwells. And my understanding is that the third heaven where God dwells will stay intact, but Satan, because he is the prince of the power of the air, he has even destroyed the, the earth and the atmosphere and what's out there. The first and second heavens. And so he is he has defiled these spheres, these portions. And so the old has to be done away with to make room for the new. Just like the old sin nature, our old man, has to be done away with for the new man, the more godly man in nature. The one that God creates in us. Now he says something interesting in this first verse as he says, So I saw now a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Passed away. And he says this, And also there was no more sea. Hmm. Now if you remember, we've talked, uh, uh, we're talking about a new heaven and a new earth. No more will we have to put up with what is here on the earth and what we know. So I want to read to you from a commentary that I, I read for, for um, Revelation here. Now, I, I actually wanted to, to just steal it and just try to make it my own. But I knew that you guys would catch on because I'm not that intelligent of how I'm going to describe this no more sea business. You guys would go... Zeke, you stole that. It's like, well, whatever. So I'm just confessing to you that I didn't steal it. I'm going to read this to you. And this is from Understanding Revelation, God's Final Word, from Ray Stedman. And this portion that he's writing about here of No More Sea, it says this, and I'm quoting this, and I'll read it. It says, there is an interesting statement embedded in this passage. And there was no longer any sea. A friend of mine, uh, after reading this passage, said to me, I don't think I'm going to like the new heaven and new earth. I love the ocean. I understand that feeling. I love the ocean too. But consider for a moment why, just why the ocean exists. As I was reading, I'm going, you just said this off the top of your head? But that's why he writes commentaries, and I don't. <laughs> Going back to it, he says, Over 70% of the surface of the earth, or the world, is covered with salt water. The average de depth of the sea is 2.3 miles. Why does our planet need such a massive covering of salt water? Answer, to cleanse the earth and... And make life possible. The earth is bathed in God's great antiseptic uh, solution, compounded of about six, uh, 96 percent water, 3.5 percent salt, and about 5.5 percent of constituents um, chloride, magnesium calcium, and the like. The salty brine of the ocean purges, cleanses, and preserves our planet, our planet, making it fit to live in. Many of the pollutants and waste we produce get washed out of the soil and into our streams and rivers. Others are deliberately dumped into the rivers the rivers wash these materials into the sea. The antiseptic solitine, selatine of the, uh, of the sea absorbs, scrubs, and breaks down these pollutants and wastes. The sun heats the sea, causing only pure, clean water vapor to float up into the sky, forming clouds which bring refreshing rain back to the land a continuous cycle of cleansing and renewal. And in the new heaven and new earth, 
there will be no more pollution, no more decay, no more need of cleansing, and thus there will be no need of a salty sea. I thought, whoa. So there was no more sea because there's no more sin, basically. And so one of the other things that I, it, because we've, we've studied about this whole no more sea stuff, is that the sea in Scripture sometimes represents the Gentile nations and or the heathen. To the Jew, um, which we've also described, uh, the sea was a dangerous and forbidding, forbidding place because it seemed, they seemed to think that it brought separation and evil. And it also speaks of being unstable. So it is possible that the reason also for no more sea is that there won't be any heathens, danger, separation, evil, or instability in the new heaven and the new, new earth. And so in verse 2, he says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Here the Apostle John mentions himself, but most manuscripts um, omit his name. But be that as it may, He's just got done in verse 1 telling us what he saw. And he comes right back and he says again, Then I saw the holy city. And so he kind of reiterates what he's seen. He sees this new heaven, this new earth, and then he goes, Oh, and by the way, I also saw the new Jerusalem, this holy city, where Abraham was was looking for he was looking for that city he was waiting for that city where i believe is our true citizenship in hebrews chapter 11 verses 9 and 10 it says by faith he speaking of abraham uh, dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with isaac and jacob the heirs with him of the same promise for he waited for a city which had foundations who, whose builder and maker is God. And so by faith, Abraham was looking for this new city whose maker and builder, or whose make, builder and maker is God. So this new city is coming down out of heaven from God. And so this third heaven where God dwells will continue to exist. And, and we'll study more about the New Jerusalem in our next study. But we look at the glory that we have here, that of the bride adorned for her husband. And as I was thinking about this whole bride and groom thing, I'm thinking, could it be, is it possible that this place that he's speaking of could be the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us as he spoke in John 14, 2. That, that, that here is that, that, that complete consummation of the bride and her husband. Of all things, as the bride has now prepared herself for her groom, for her husband, that they come together in this intimacy that they will never ever be separated again. And what a beautiful picture of the Christ, of Christ and the bride. And again, we'll look at that glory even more in our next study. But this is what will make it all glorious. This is what we get to, to do where it talks about in verse 3 that behold, the tabernacle of God is with man and he will dwell with them and he will dwell, uh, oh, and he will dwell with, he will be with them and he will d dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. In other words, 
This is what makes it all worth it, that we will be with God forever and ever. The word tabernacle means tent, habitation, covering. In other words, God himself will be there. And we will be in him and not in these tents any longer. These tents that groan. The word Emmanuel means God with us. And that's the way it will be. He will be with us. God himself. And we will be a part of him. You know, back in the Garden of Eden, it tells us that that God walked with Adam and Eve and that he came to them in the cool of the day, probably in the morning. But he was with them. And so too, also, we will be, God will be with us. And not just in the cool of the day, but always, forever. And this is what he will do with us, as it says in verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. I don't know if you know this, but some of us tear up really easy, often even. (laughs) Sometimes they are tears of joy, don't get me wrong. But most often than not, when we cry, it's because there's been a lot of hurt or sadness or sorrow or pain. And for me lately, it's been a lot of death, a lot. that I've had to deal with. And you see, this world brings a lot of those things. Brings about about pain and sorrow and hurt. And the more I see death lately, you almost think like, man, Lord, I'm tired of this. I'm tired. When sin entered into the world, it brought all these things with it. Everything. Now, even though some people don't shed tears very easily, like others do, it seems that those people, they, they still cry inside. They just know how to hold it in. I just can't. I don't know why. It's almost like all these things <laughs> have turned those tear ducts inward. And they, they, it's, it's almost because they're so kind of almost callous because they just don't want to cry. It's like, no. And yet they're still on the inside hurting because that's what this world brings. I don't care who you are. Everybody deals with sadness and suffering and pain and sorrow and death. And some of us can't hold it in, and some people can. But I've also heard <laughs> that some who have been so hardened before, man, they come to Christ, man, they become little chiones. <laughs> and that's little crybabies in Espanol. They become little crybabies because all of a sudden it's like those tear ducts are opened up, man, and all the hurt and all the pain and everything that they've held in and bottled in for years, man, is now just coming out. Whoa. But in this new Jerusalem, it will be a place of no more because God will be with us. And sin will no longer be a part of who we are. I was just sharing with Faye earlier. Been around a lot of dead bodies lately, man. It's just been breaking my heart. And I've seen these, these tents that have no more life in them. And I almost envy them because there's no more sin. No more sin can touch them. Nothing hurts them anymore, ever, in this earth. And you almost go like, you're seeing this body right there, man. It's like, nothing can hurt it. It's just a shell. 
says, God has done away with the former things and there is no more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. <laughs> I don't even know how I'm going to act with no more crying. <laughs> no more pain. Because all of these things will be wiped away by the very hand, by the very hand of God. <laughs> He'll say, no more. Let me wipe that away. Let me take that away. <laughs> Man. This morning as I was just studying this, I'm going, Lord, I'm just so tired. So tired of this life right now. Because <laughs> you look at what we get to have. And there will be none of these things that you deal with, that you deal with, that you deal with, that I deal with. There will be no more of that. And I'm going, Lord, please. Soon. <laughs> They're looking at the clock. It's like, man. Anyways, let me just get through this really quick and get done with here. <laughs> Verses 5 through 7. And he said, He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Right. Can you imagine what the Apostle Paul is feeling at this very moment? He has already seen and been around and gazed upon him who sits on the throne. And now God says, I behold, I make all things new. And it's interesting because the Apostle John had experienced a new life in Christ. He had already experienced that. He had already been born again. When, when Jesus, when he was resurrected and he breathed into them the Spirit and became, they became born again. When he said, receive the Holy Spirit... And then on the day of Pentecost, once again, John experienced the Holy Spirit, not just in him, but coming upon him. And so he was experiencing this brand new life, man, that was just phenomenal. Because he was a totally new creation in Christ as he still lived. And now he's before the throne. He has seen heaven. He has seen all the destruction. He has seen all the glory. He has seen all of this. And he gets to this point and he says, Behold, I make all things new. Everything new. He understood the earthly realm of what it meant to be a new creation. But this is now a whole new dimension, aspect, facet, far beyond whatever he could ever have imagined. Can you believe that? I like the way the Amplified puts this verse. And he who is seated on the throne said, See, I make all things new. Also, he said, Record this, for these sayings are faithful, accurate, incorruptible, and trustworthy, and true, genuine. Wow. And in verse 6, he says, and he said, it is done. And if you remember, this is the same phrase that was used back in Revelation 16, 17, when the seventh angel had poured out the seventh and final bowl into the air, and a voice from the throne says, it is done. And that phrase, it is done, means the completion of a job or that the task has been performed and is complete and nothing else needed to be done because it is done. And it's quite a different phrase than when Jesus was on the cross and he says it is finished. That phrase, it is finished, was placed on a legal document indicating that a debt had been paid the contract had been now completed. 
It was also stamped on the paperwork of those who had, been, who had fulfilled their sentence in prison. And they were done. They served in full. They were now free. And that is what Jesus did and said on the cross to free mankind. He paid the debt. It is done, though. <laughs> this phrase... It means that the world as we know it is done. All is complete. Nothing else needs to be done. The job has been completed. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. <laughs> the one who is speaking here is the one who sits on the throne. And it sounds a lot like God the Father. But the interesting thing is that's the way Jesus describes himself. In Revelation 1.8, where he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, there is only one I am, and it is our God, made up in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This, once again, this portion, describes the sovereignty of God over all things, and that he is in absolute control of everything from beginning to end, because he is the beginning. He is the end. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, Declares, declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient time things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will do my pleasure. You see, God ordains. What God ordains to be accomplished will be accomplished because there's no one to tell him otherwise. <laughs> what he says goes. And we have his word that he has given that to us. So I believe this over anything else, anybody else. He says, and I will give of the fountain of the water freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You know, I, as I was looking at this, I go, you know, we are already being filled because we've come to the fountain. Jesus says, whoever thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And you'll never thirst again, basically. We are told in scriptures that we are in scripture that we are overcomers. And so we get to experience this this new life in Christ that we are satisfied with who he is and we have overcome. But one day at the last, at the end, we will not have to deal with sin nature ever again. We won't have to deal with what we have to deal with now. Oh, we are satisfied and overcomers in Christ now, but one day it will be complete. It will be done. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun the good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, can't wait. Chapter 8, or verse 8, as we finish in the Amplified, if you can follow along. But as for the cowardly and the ignoble and the contemptible and the cravingly lacking in courage and the cowardly submissive and as for the unbelieving, unbelieving and faithless and as for the depraved and defiled with abominations and as for the murderers and the lewd and adulterous and the practicers of magic arts and the idolaters, those who give supreme devotion to anyone or anything other than God, and all liars, those who knowingly convey untruth by, God, by word or deed, all of these shall have their part in the lake that blazes with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. This morning we have gotten a glimpse of what the new heaven and the new earth will be like. And we barely touched on a little bit on the new Jerusalem. 
And as much as we have gotten a glimpse of what is ahead and what we have to look forward to, I believe that these verses that we have covered this morning are for us today. They're They're for us today to be encouraged to keep going, to not give up, to stand firm, to fight the good fight, to keep the faith. Because in the end, it will be all worth it. It will be all worth it, guys. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God is the God of new beginnings. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And they will one day wind down. And he will bring about a new heaven and a new earth. But today, he wants to make a new creation out of you and me. Day by day. Every day. That the old things of our lives may be passed away. So that we can become new. Day by day. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for revealing what the new heaven and new earth will look like, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you didn't stop with chapter 20, Lord. Thank you so much that you gave us chapter 21 and 22. And Lord, as we read these portions of Scripture, Lord, I believe that you gave it to us, Lord, so that we wouldn't give up, so that we would continue to the end to stand firm, to walk in the Spirit, to not be swayed by the things of this world because they will only be temporary. And I bless you for that. I thank you so much for that. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord. Lord, I know everyone that walks through these doors battles life. (laughs) Battles life, Lord. Day in and day out, Lord. And as much as we try to walk in the Spirit, we fail. Lord, forgive us, Lord, each and every day. Thank you, Lord, that you love us that much, that you use broken vessels. You put your your spirit within people that are made out of clay. Man, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you that this morning, Lord, your mercies were brand new. Thank you so much for that. Help us, Lord, to remember all the things that you've done And as the enemy roars around like a a, a lion, Lord God, seeking to take away this, this joy, Lord, help us to overcome because we are overcomers. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.